Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So we've been trying to establish kind of a new rhythm. So I'm going to read some scripture to you. Uh, It's not responsive this week, but I'm going to read some scripture. And then at the end of that, uh, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And your response is, thanks be to God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Great job. Y'all can sit. So, my name is Ken Cantrell. Um, I'm not actively serving on the elder body, but I am one of the elders here at Oak City Church. Um, At the the end of the sermon, you are more than welcome. If you've got any feedback on this, you want to talk through it some more, or I can help you in any way, you're more more than welcome to reach out to ken at oakcitychurch.com. Um, I'm not the normal preaching pastor. Uh, Jeff is on vacation, and, which is great, so I'm super thankful for that. So we are in a sermon series about the church. What is the church? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? Why do we gather together? What happens in church? And this week, our focus is on worship. So let's start with what's going to sound like an easy question. Why are you here? Like, not, not in the big sense, but like, why are you here this morning? I think, if we're honest with ourselves, most of you who are here regularly would answer with one of these questions, or answers. Routine. This is what I do on Sunday mornings, so that's why I'm here. Duty. I agreed to serve in one of the ministries, and I have to be here to satisfy an obligation. For my kids. Like, it's important that my kids are in church, so I'm here for them. For someone else. It's important to somebody else that I be here, so I'm here because it makes them happy. Or maybe they made me come, and so I'm here because of that. Family or community. This is who you consider to be your family. This is your community, and you want to be here to, to, you know, because you want to be around family. Learning. I'm interested in the sermon, and I want to know what Jeff has to teach me this week. So you're out of luck because Jeff's not here. Uh, singing. Or music, right? We don't have a lot of opportunities to sing in culture anymore. So maybe you're here because you enjoy the music and you enjoy singing. Or entertainment. You're just here to be entertained. I think there's a lot of goodness in some of those answers. I mean, we we ought to value our commitments, for example. But is this all there really is? Like, does this represent the heart of why we gather together? There was a theologian named A.W. Tozer in the mid-1900s. He said this, God calls us to worship, but in many instances, we're just in entertainment, and we're running a poor second to the theaters. He also said, most people that we say we are trying to reach will never come to a church to see a bunch of amateur actors putting on a home talent show. That's kind of harsh. I have been at churches that I think were super focused just on entertainment, There was one in Orlando. It was just, it was all a show. I don't connect with that here at Oak City all that much. I don't think we're big on shows and pageantry. And honestly, um, I think our worship team is 
amazing. I, I'm in awe of their skills. But it is one reason people attend church, and, and there's others. So I, I don't know who said this, so I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but I heard somebody else once say, there are better economists. There are better financial advisors. There are better marriage counselors, better parenting gurus, better psychologists, better psychiatrists. If that's the role the church and the pastor is trying to fill, the church is always going to look weak and second-rate. But the church has a purpose that nobody else has. We have a mission, and our gathering must be the place where first and foremost the gospel is proclaimed. That's what he said. And I think even more than that, our church's gathering must be the place where we engage in the corporate worship of our great and mighty God, of which the gospel, and the gospel is huge, it's important, it's the reason we gather, but it's one part of that worship. In fact, I think our purpose on Sundays, but more importantly, every day, is meant, first and foremost, to be worshiping our God and King. We were saved from death to life, from bondage to freedom, so that we could know and worship our God. Catechisms are one way that the church has tried to like, summarize all of the Christian faith. The most famous, famous of those, I think, is the Westminster Larger Catechism. It begins like this, the very first question, what is the chief and highest end of man? In other words, why are we here? The answer, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy Him forever. That's, that's worship. So I, when I started talking this sermon through with my wife, Micah, her, one of her first thoughts was like, the idea of continually worshiping God sounds exhausting. I totally get that. I don't know if you do, but I, I totally get that. And when I make my own list of why I'm here on Sundays, if I'm honest, worship is usually below routine and it's below duty. But I will tell you, prepping this sermon was a wake-up call for me. And I hope that as I share this with you, I will inspire you to understand worship in a way that's not exhausting. And it draws you closer to the amazing, wonderful, powerful Creator God that demonstrated His love for you through the cross of Jesus. So, what does it mean to worship? If we're going to talk about worship, what does it mean to worship? John Piper says that worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Back to A.W. Tozer, he says, true worship of God must be a constant and consistent attitude or state of mind within the believer. And then an author that I was reading prepping for this named Zach Neese said, worship is a posture of our hearts that informs every action of our lives. It is an attitude of love and submission that demands action. I like those. I think they're really good definitions. Um, I especially like Zach's and that phrase, posture of the heart. And part of that's because the Greek word most commonly used in the New Testament, learned this this week, it's used 32 times in the New Testament to mean worship, is really all about posture. Its first definition is to crown, uh, crouch or fawn forward while expressing homage. Number two is to fall prostrate in adoration or homage. Three is to lean prostrate with the help of a staff. And then finally, we get the physical act of lowering oneself in humble submission with an attitude of utmost adoration or respect. So a few things to see out of that. First off, worship 
involves a lowering of ourselves before God. There's a lot of humility wrapped up in those definitions. And I wonder, even in the worship series that we had, you know, the singing a few moments ago, do we come to God with a spirit like that? Another author I was reading this week pointed out a worship song lyric that says, God, you are worthy of my worship. And he was pointing it out just to say how insidious pride is, how sneaky it can be, how it comes into things. Because that sounds great, right? God, you're worthy of my worship. But he said what happens is that often turns into, God, I have been looking at you and evaluating you quite closely. And I have decided after careful consideration that you are indeed worthy of my worship. Congratulations, God. I'm going to worship you now. It's just, it's so insidious how pride can slip into things. Instead, right, our view here should be God is worthy, and so we worship Him. So that's the first thing, These, uh, the idea of humility. The second thing is that those are really, really active definitions. As much as I like the definition from John Piper and A.W. Tozer and Zach Neese, if you do a word search throughout all of the Bible for the word worship, what you're going to find is it's almost always a verb, not an adjective. In fact, the very first time that the word worship is used in the, at least the ESV translation of the Bible is the scene where Abraham is taking Isaac up to the mountain. He turns to his servants and says, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Worship is almost always a verb in the Bible. So, when we think of worship, first off, it's not limited to Sunday mornings. There is nothing in any of those definitions at all that restricts worship to Sunday mornings. It's a whole life experience. And secondly, I think we should think of worship as a posture of the heart and all the actions that flow from that. And I think I've read enough of Tozer and Piper and now uh, the Zach Nees guy to believe that that's, that's what they believe as well. So take singing. Let's go back to singing for just a second. We can sing, but... If it doesn't come from a heart of worship, it's just noise. That might be beautiful noise, but it's just noise. But if singing is how your heart expresses worship, then the singing itself is worship. I hope that makes sense. So, what I want to do now is I'm going to, for the rest of the sermon, I'm going to use a passage that Jesus, um, a statement that he made around worship. And it, this may frustrate some of you. I'm not going to get real deep into the context of this. But if you care, um, this was the comment that Jesus made to the Samaritan woman at the well. And he told her, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. So we know that worship is a posture of the heart. It involves the actions that flow out of that. We know it's wrapped up in humility. It's an everyday thing. But what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? So we're going to look at the both of those, in spirit and in truth, starting with in truth. Here's the first thing for that. Worship is meaningless if it's not based in truth. Worship is meaningless if it's not based in truth. And that comes from Jesus. He once described the religious leaders of his time by saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, 
teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Look at that second half. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. I think it's really, really cool. It looks to me that Jesus is equating teaching with worship. Not that, not that teaching is the only form of worship, but as somebody who likes to teach, I think it's awesome that teaching can be worship. But he also says this worship is meaningless. It's vain. It's worthless. It's a waste of time. Why? Not because it's teaching, but because it was teaching man's ideas instead of God's truth. This may be a little less obvious, but let's another example. Why does the second commandment exist? Most of you are thinking second commandment, second commandment. So what's the second commandment? So for me, anytime I think second or the commandments as a whole, I've got to go back to the King James Version because the Ten Commandments are King James. So uh, here's the second commandment, the short version of it. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Why is that so important that it ranks as the second commandment? He's already told us in the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So it's not, it's not just about like worshiping something else. He's already said, don't have any other gods before me. I think that this commandment exists mostly because when we make images of God, we're constraining him in some way. We're putting boundaries on him. We're limiting him to something that we can control, we can touch, we can feel, or even, frankly, think we could totally comprehend. But He is so much more. For our worship to be legitimate, it must be aimed at the God who truly is, not the God that we create to make us happy. So, who is God? <laughs> now, that, that's like the super hard question, right? That's really, I think that's why we meet almost every week, is we're trying to figure out who are we, who is God, well, how does that all go together? But here's a quick picture. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. God is love. He is perfect. He is peace. He is the true God, the living God, and the everlasting King. He is eternal life. His eternal power and His divine nature can be seen through nature. He holds our life breath and all of our ways, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He is the same God that brought the Israelites out of Egypt, that sent them into exile in Babylon, that was born a man, that lived a sinless life, that died for us, that rose again, and that will come again in glory. You want more? Like, uh, maybe start with Jeff's sermon from last week. He spent the entire sermon on one passage in Colossians 3, 3.15 and a little bit further, just trying to help us see who Jesus is and how great God is. As important as it is to worship in the truth of who God is, I think it's also important, though, to worship in the truth of who we are. So we, mankind, are the pinnacle of God's creation. There is nothing on this earth that is more precious than man. We are also His creation, which makes Him our Creator, and that's really important because that establishes a relationship, right? And that is not a relationship of equals. And we were made for His pleasure. We are also now fallen, which means that we are born separated from God and on our own 
we will remain that way for all eternity because of our pride and our selfishness. And yet, we, the church, and so I'm speaking to the church now, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, with a purpose so that we can proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once, we were not a people. And you can look around, right? You can look to your left and right if you want. Just think about who is around you and what the odds are that you would have any meaningful relationship with them if it hadn't been for Jesus calling us together. But now, you are God's people. And not just here. You are God's people along with chosen generation across the street. And believers throughout all of Raleigh, or Italy, or Germany, or throughout the world. And not just now, but you are a people along with all of those that have come before you, and all of those that will come after you. And as a whole set, once you, we, had not received mercy, but now we have. Even though we were alienated and hostile in mind towards God, we are reconciled in Jesus' body of death, or body of flesh, by His death, so that Jesus can present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God. I don't feel holy and blameless and above reproach, and I, I know what my life looks like, and the idea that Jesus would present me as holy and blameless before God the Father, the creator of everything, just blows my mind. I, I think I read enough that at least I, I think the younger generation, which I was reflecting is most everybody now um, for me, but if not all of America, has a serious issue of anxiety and self-worth. But do you see in this the amazing picture of who we're made to be and of our purpose and how much was sacrificed to demonstrate who we are? It's just, it, it's awesome. So, where do we learn that truth? This is the truth, right? Who we are, who we're worshiping, where do we learn that? Well, first off, you don't learn it by magic. Um, you don't learn to be a mechanic just by driving a car. You don't learn to be a doctor just by going to your annual physical. And you don't learn this just poof, by magic. Truth comes ultimately from the Holy Spirit, who must illuminate our souls to help us understand these things. But the Holy Spirit does that mostly through normal means that take engagement and effort. Bible study, sermons, prayer, and from fellowship with one another. So if you've been here very long at all, you've heard me say this before, so I, I don't mean to be repetitive, but this is one reason that our gathering together and that our home groups are so incredibly important. I will never be the man of God that I am meant to be without you. As a man, I, I just don't see Jesus the way that a woman will. There's enough difference in our society with the way that women and men are treated. I will never see Jesus the same way. As a white man, I don't see Jesus the way that a black man does. As someone with a loving father, I won't see Jesus the way, thankfully, that somebody who had an abusive father might. As someone born in America, I won't see Jesus the way that somebody born in Nicaragua might. And turn that around, right? None of those people see Jesus the way that I do. We need to be in each other's lives, speaking the truths of God that He has shown us into each other's lives. 
And the hard part, I think, is that that doesn't come easy. Right? If, if we're going to talk like that to each other, it takes trust. And trust takes time. And time means the sacrifice of something so that we can make ourselves available to each other. I am, I am so thankful that we've been able to stream, and even now, that we can stream sermons and we've been able to stream home groups. But streaming just doesn't allow us to be together the way the church has to be together to be healthy. And we just can't afford to stay there. But, as I mentioned before, it's not just about gathering together. It's also about that personal sacrifice of time to study God's Word. So I, I think that I'm viewed as somebody, by those of you who know me, like as, as somebody who studies a lot. Um, I, I wish that was true, um, but I study mostly when I'm prepping to feed other people, which is one of the reasons I like preaching and I like teaching is because it means I feed myself, but if, without that, I, I don't feed myself nearly well enough. Zach Neese says, one of the reasons that the body of Christ is so immature, unwise, and ignorant of the truth is because most Christians fast from the Word all week long and then live off the crumbs of another man's table. Think pastor there. There is no such thing as a body that can grow strong and mature by eating scraps once a week. That's, that's harsh, um, but I think he's dead on. Coming to the truth of who God is is not a two-minute journey. It's the journey of a lifetime. And as, but the cool thing is, as we make that journey, our worship becomes more and more acceptable and pleasing to God. It blows my mind that the creator of everything can take genuine joy and delight in my worship of Him. And His delight grows as our worship becomes more and more aligned with the truth. That's just cool. So, in this section here on truth, my encouragement to you is to commit to gaining more of the truth and to strive to see God and yourself more clearly. This will be a little frustrating to some of you, but there's not a single recipe for how you do that. But I think the ingredients are the same. Prayer, Bible study, Bible reading, and gathering together as God's people. And it's okay to start small. But if this isn't already part of what you consider to be your spiritual like walk, I think it needs to be. So, that was worship in truth. Jesus said worship in spirit and in truth. So, what is the in spirit part? So, some people believe that this means it's all in reference to spiritual warfare. And we do live in a world that has a physical realm and a spiritual realm to it, and there is a warfare happening in that spiritual realm. So a lot of people want to read this and say, because it says spirit, it's all about that spiritual realm and spiritual warfare. Talking with people kind of prepping for this, I think a lot of people read that and say what it's really referring to is emotions. Like you need to be in the spirit, you need to feel it. I don't think either one of those are quite right. And I'm going to suggest that what this is, is it's really a call for every part of ourselves to be aligned in worship. Our emotions, so it is about our emotions, but it's our emotions and our minds and our actions, all of these things working together in harmony. I kind of said this already, but something like bowing down in worship, it's not true worship unless it comes from a heart of worship. 
And it's really hard, if not impossible, to have a heart of worship without it spilling out into actions like that. So why do I say that? Like, where does this come from? I think the best way to read and understand Scripture is to let it interpret itself. And Paul tells us this. He says, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus says, worship in spirit. Paul says, spiritual worship is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So tear that apart just a little bit, to present our bodies. So this isn't just about how we feel, it's going to involve our physical selves as a living sacrifice. So living means it's not a one-time action. It's going to come up over and over again. It's going to apply to all of our life. Sacrifice, right? Sacrifices are things that we, have, we give up that's going to cost us something. Holy and acceptable, that brings us back to the idea of truth. And so that is our spiritual worship. Jesus says worship in spirit and truth. What does it look like? It means offering ourselves all of ourselves, every day, in every way, that's how we spiritually worship. So here's more of what Paul has to say there. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. From the passage that I started with when we stood, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It's not the holy stuff, right? We like to, we like to pull out worship and say it's what you do just on Sundays or it's a special time. He's saying it's not, it's not this holy special stuff. It's everything that we do that's meant to be worship, down to eating or drinking or changing diapers, right? All of that can be worship if it comes from the right heart. One more time from Paul. Whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Again, our spiritual worship is taking all that we are and positioning it before God as worship, in truth, with humility. So here's an example from my life. Um, My kids are 18 and 21, which means... As of this summer, both of them have made it through high school, which is, yay, it's awesome. Um, They have also made it K through 12 of homeschool, because we homeschooled all the way through. So there are as many reasons to homeschool as there are homeschoolers. For us, we homeschooled because my wife wanted to homeschool. (laughs) Um, So let me be real clear as I get into this, um, because education can be a tricky topic. This is how we approached education and schooling, um, and this is how we saw it. That doesn't necessarily mean it's right, and um, there's absolutely no judgment, as I say this, on anybody that would approach educating their kids differently. Even if you have exactly the same vision I'm about to lay out, you could execute it completely differently. But for us, this is how we approach this. Micah asked me a question, why do you want our kids to have an education? And then she waited patiently for me to get the right answer. Um, She believed early that the reason for an education was not for our kids to get a better job and to get out of my house. Um, It was to learn to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. So we went into homeschooling with this idea that we could reveal God in all of His glory as we schooled. 
So the idea was teach the same stuff that you get in public school, but like change it um, so that they could see Him. Through math, we could show that God was a God of reason and logic. Through history, we could show His goodness and His sovereignty and our need for Him because <laughs> history shows a need for Jesus. Um, through the sciences, we could show His, his power and His majesty, and His order, and His creativity. You, you get the idea, right? Um, now, I think that we probably get a C minus or less on how well we held to that vision and how well we executed it. That, that's an issue for us. <laughs> but I, I think the idea that we had is exactly the right idea. I think that that's like the, the idea, is that you take all of life, and you see, how can that be used to glorify God? Zach Nee says, Worship is the soil out of, all, out of which all meaningful Christian endeavors grow. Evangelism begins as worship. Teaching and preaching begin as worship. Prayer and prophecy, discipleship and missions, charity and kindness, patience, everything else, all of it, when done God's way, begin and end with worship. And I'll go beyond that and say, they are worship when done with the right heart. So, what does true worship look like? Worship is for everybody. Start there, right? It's for everybody. Whether far away and the enemies of God as the Samaritans were seen to be, or for somebody that's been in church all of their life, worship is meant for all of us. Our hearts are meant to be consciously focused towards our Creator, our Redeemer. Everything we do is meant to be in response to that. Everyday actions, eating, drinking, doing the dishes, carpooling the kids, taking the next Zoom call, all of that can and should be an act of worship. And at the same time, we're meant to recognize that those outward acts of worship are meaningless if they don't come from an inner heart of worship. So I encourage you, starting today, try and look at your life and realize, maybe again, right? Maybe this isn't anything new, it's just a reminder what a precious gift it is and the glorious purpose to which we've been called, to glorify our King, make His name known, and worship Him. Start small. That's okay. Start small. Maybe start just by thanking Him. Like, for example, the next time you mow the yard, consider how you can worship through that activity. I don't realize that's a little strange, right? But, like, realize the, the power and the majesty of a God that could create a world like ours, that continues to sustain it, Right? You have to keep mowing it, right? And will redeem every part of it in the future. And declare your praise to Him before you pull the string or like, I don't know what you do on the electric mowers, right? But however you start your electric mower. So um, I'm not there yet, right? I'm, I may be standing on a stage that's a little taller than you all right now, but I'm, I'm not trying to say this like standing on a pedestal and saying, be like me. Uh, it, if I'm honest, right, part of me still feels a little exhausted to think of worship like this. But I can also look at my life and realize just how much peace and joy and rightness I have felt when I had a vision of who God was and I let myself worship Him. And I am I'm confident that as we grow closer to the God that loves us and we worship Him continually, that we will find our lives so much more restful than we can imagine today. So I want to end this by giving you some pictures and some declarations of holy worship as shown in Scripture. 
as I read these passages, I would encourage you to just meditate on God's goodness, meditate on His power and His grace, and pray for Him to give us the same desire for worship in every part of our lives. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And one, Seraphim, called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His because He made it. And His hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen.